0: Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down the movies to look for insights into the movie making process. Hosted by
1: The Chick and the Duck. Let's dim the lights and start the show. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Haddon Industries. Haddon Industries will take you places. Welcome everyone to the pestle. I am Wes. And I am Todd. And this is the show where we like to break down, analyze movies, and see what they're made of. I we call it the pestle because like a pestle and mortar, you can put something, you know, on a you can put flour down and grind it up and make other things with it. And so this is our way of taking a movie, grinding it up, seeing what it's made of, and making an awesome podcast about it.
0: Yeah, trying to figure out why a good movie is a good movie, why a bad movie is a bad movie or why we think that.
1: True. You know. True cuz cuz it's subjective. Totally subjective and we're just taking our best shot. Yeah. At the end of the day.
0: And unless un uh, unless we're talking about Transformers, we're you know, it's just our opinion. <laughs> But with Transformers, it's just fact. (laughs) This is concrete reality. Yeah. Uh, Note to to everyone out there, we are doing Contact today. There are a lot of spoilers if you haven't seen this movie. Um, It's an older film. 20 years old or so. So, um, God. I know. I know. So you probably have seen it or seen pieces of it or maybe you haven't seen it in a while and so it's kind of new to you. So I would recommend going and watching it uh, before you continue listening. We're going to spoil the whole thing
1: for you. Absolutely. We're going to talk about a lot of things. We'll talk about uh, the themes of contact, which if you've seen the movie, won't come as any surprise because there's no secret. Well, I think I have a little bit of a secret one, but... The most of them are pretty sitting there right on their face. Uh, But we'll also talk about how they visually reinforce the themes, which I was really shocked by whenever I was watching it uh, one of these last two times and was just like, oh my God, they're doing this thing and it's really cool. And then we'll talk about some of the cinematography, the framing and composition choices and a lot more. It should get pretty, pretty. Uh, interesting. I was going to... I'm letting you hang. Pretty what? Let's let's hear
0: it. Let's hear the... <laughs> All right. Uh, so the synopsis of the film, Dr. Ellie Arroway, after years of searching, finds conclusive radio proof of extraterrestrial intelligence, sending plans for a mysterious machine. Directed by Robert Zemeckis, screenplay by James V. Hart and Michael Goldenberg. Uh, it's based on the novel by Carl Sagan and story credits to Carl Sagan and Ann Druyan. Uh, it's starting Jodie Foster as Ellie Arroway, David Morse as Ted Arroway, Matthew McConaughey as Palmer Joss, Tom Skerritt as Drumlin, William Fitcher as Kent, James Woods as Michael Kitts, and Angela Bassett as Rachel Constantine.
1: You come to us with no evidence, no record, no artifacts. Only a story that, to put it mildly, strains credibility. Over half a trillion dollars were spent. Dozens of lives were lost. Are you really going to sit there and tell us we should just take this all on faith?
0: Is it possible that it didn't happen? Yes. As a scientist, I must concede that. I must volunteer that. Wait a minute, let me get this straight. You admit that you have absolutely no physical evidence to back up your story.
1: Yes. You admit that you very well may have hallucinated this whole thing. Yes. You admit that if you were in our position, you would respond with exactly the same degree of incredulity and skepticism. Yes. Then why don't you simply withdraw your testimony and concede that this journey to the center of the galaxy, in fact, never took place.
0: Because I can't. I had an experience. I can't prove it. I can't even explain it. But everything that I know as a human being, everything that I am tells me that it was real. I was given something wonderful, something that changed me forever. A vision of the universe that tells us undeniably how tiny and insignificant and how rare and precious we all are. A vision that tells us that we belong to something that is greater than ourselves, that we are not, that none of us are alone. I wish
1: I could share that. I wish... That everyone, if even for one moment, could feel that awe and humility and a hope. But
0: <laughs> that continues to be my wish.
1: Yeah, I know. <laughs> it pulls you right in. It's what but writing. God, the writing, the performance. performance, yeah. It's just, and it, to me, that's like one of the most iconic monologues of the last 20 years. Yeah. And maybe that also has something to do with, you know, I for a good stretch of time was a, in a very religious uh, background and they would trot this clip out, oh, you course. know, pretty frequently. <laughs> of course. When was the last time you think you saw All Contact? Oh, man. Um Probably 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Do you feel like there was a difference between watching it recently and... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm a very different person than I was 15 years ago.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm much more uh, like how she was it, How she was for most of the movie. Well, that's how I am now. I grew up re- religious, you know, went to church every Sunday, very religious household. I don't think is as extreme as... Like religious sure. as as you, yeah. but it was definitely it had to be part of your life, and it was you know you you grow up with it you don't even question it yeah. it's just, you know and then you get older and you start meeting other people that don't feel the don't think the same way don't believe the same things and so you start asking yourself all these questions and there's not really answers for a lot of your questions at least not good ones you know there's always the ans- the answers that aren't really answers they're just kind of like like this is gonna tide you over until you you know for a while uh it's just the beginning of a new answer (laughs) yeah yeah exactly so the first time i'm sure the first time i watched this it was very like like oh she's found god you know Mm -hmm. okay good for her you know i don't see that at all in in this now
1: you know Probably because I don't want to see it, yeah. you know, but what about you? Um, yeah, I mean, I've probably seen it, you know, within the last year. I cataloged all my DVDs and now I can stream them over uh, my own system. And so as a part of that, whenever you're going through, you know, two or three hundred movies, some uh, someone just jump out at you like, man, I'd really like to watch that, you know, soon. And that was certainly one of them. Uh, there's just something about that idea of not only... Getting in touch with another species, you know, of beings, but also just the idea of being willing to to do it, to do what she did, which is sacrifice everything potentially Mm -hmm. and get into a place that's going to take you somewhere you've never been and you may not ever get home like that kind of bravery and thought uh, and adventure is always a very appealing idea to me for sure. And so this is one of those movies that I think, and I can remember seeing this for the first time in theaters and I was, you know, just a teenager, but I went with a couple buddies in Dallas, I think, and going into something like this, especially as a kid, you're, and I think everyone at the time was like, what are we going to get to see? Yeah. Oh yeah. That, that you're promising aliens we never get to see an alien, you know, mm-hmm. quote unquote, we meet one, but it's in, you know, human form. And so I can imagine, I can't really remember how satisfied it, I, I, I was not satisfied. You weren't like, yeah, I can I remember younger. vaguely being like, Oh, that was really cool. It wasn't completely satisfying because you just missed this thing, but you're like, man, that was still a really cool movie. And there was some really interesting, uh, takeaways, emotional takeaways anyway. And obviously that visual experience when she does start that journey is just second to none. Yeah. Uh, oh my God. Cause up until that point, I think the closest I'd gotten to experiencing anything like that would be like a Stargate, but this blows that away. Mm-hmm. And even today I'm like, that's still like a really satisfying visual journey. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Those effects. It's, it was amazing. <laughs> Absolutely. Amazing. It came out in 97. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. (laughs) Killed it. Yeah. And now watching it recently, I'm like, wow, there's, you know, whenever I'm devoid of any role, I'm agnostic. So I don't really have any pull one way or the other. And just watching it, I was like, oh, you know what? There's this doesn't feel one way or the other. It feels like considering this was written by, you know, an atheist. uh, I assume Carl Sagan is an atheist. I don't know exactly what he is, but he's certainly a, a scientist to to his bones and i went in kind of expecting a little bit more finger wagging but this felt much more like an olive branch to religion and mm-hmm. and like there's a there's a middle ground and we'll get to that in a little bit some of the uh, the visual the ways they accomplish that visually but i was just really i don't know i guess humbled with the with the attitude involved because the way these themes approach uh, the scientific community is it felt if anything a little bit of a of a rebuke to the scientific community mm-hmm. in the sense that you know there is a little bit of necessity of faith um, when we're when we're doing our work sometimes because. That's what she had to wrestle with, right? She came back, yeah. and all she had was an experience. Yeah, I mean, a, a lot.
0: Most of the time, when when scientists they have like an idea, mm-hmm. and they you know they work on it and work on it, but until they prove it, it's just they have faith that it's a, that it's going to work. Yeah, and that's why they're working on it in the first damn place. So, yeah, they shouldn't dismiss the the um, the importance of faith in
1: whatever that might be, whether yeah. that's a, a a god or or a theory or whatever. Mm, Absolutely. Uh, You know what? One thing that surprised me was the emergence of the Roosevelt's. (laughs) I know, I know it's a brow for, for me too. Um, To me, it just became screamingly obvious. Once I started looking at the IMDB credits as I was pulling up and creating our show notes, I was like, Oh, uh, their, their names are Eleanor Ellie uh, Jodie foster and david morsey is playing ted theodore oh theodore and eleanor roosevelt who i think are related that she was married to fdr right franklin and i i'm not going to go through the family tree it's just boring to me but yes even i have things that bore me <laughs> all right <laughs> but I kept seeing this emergence throughout the rest of the film, though. If you, when we get later on into the White House, there's a painting of Teddy in the background when Palmer and Ellie are speaking in the White House, and it's framed in between Ellie and Palmer. I thought that was really interesting. I want to say too, and I couldn't confirm this one through Google searching, but at the very end, when Kits is talking to Constantine about the the blank foot, the blank tape. I'm pretty sure there's a Roosevelt painting sitting behind him too. And I couldn't find that exact frame in Google, but I, it looked like him. Um, so what's the significance of the Roosevelts? I don't know. That's what's driving me crazy. And so what I do think, though, is that maybe it was written with Theodore and Eleanor, Carl Sagan, because, and this happened as I was typing up my own my own notes, it's because maybe if you have Eleanor and Theodore... Their initials together make E.T., extraterrestrial. Um, so I think it was a nod from them. And then I think from there it just became kind of this uh, Zemeckis Zemechus trope like it's kind of an easter egg cuz i don't pick up any other significance from them and it's not something that i think you could say is impacting the audience on any tangible level or intangible it's so vague and and i think it is just kind of an easter egg or a director's obsession <laughs> of inserting something for his own sake but i thought it was interesting i was like oh they're doing a thing here yeah. Yeah. i don't know what it means <laughs>
0: yeah. There, maybe there's some uh, maybe there's some history buffs listening uh, there, and there's some correlation between Roosevelt and space program,
1: or, yes. or something like that. You know what I mean? Please chip in yeah. if you know, because I did a very cursory Google search and I found absolutely nothing that anyone's written about, uh, or at least that Google appreciates. <laughs> <laughs> Got it you want to dive into some of the cinematography? Yeah, I do. Yeah. So,
0: Which was amazing. God. Holy In so shit. many ways. God, like... Yeah. We'll get to the shot. Yeah, I know. Because that Cause shot is... I texted you. Freaking... I was watching it, and I texted you. All I said was, that shot. <laughs> and you said, I know.
1: You knew exactly what yeah. I was talking about. Yeah. Absolutely. But the opening shot was pretty cool, too, because it's that opening shot of Earth, and we start... Oh, that's amazing. Pulling an back amazing and back way. and back until we see the galaxy. Oh, and it's, it's, it's so smart. Yeah. Obviously, it's beautiful. And I've created similar shots. And I can't do the level of detail in the that 20, they do. 18. Yeah. In 2018, I can do that shot. Yeah. In 1996. Good luck, buddy. I couldn't do it with all the paper mache and sprinkles in the world. <laughs> but the, uh, the further we get from Earth, we get the more dated music, right? We start with, at the time relevant pop culture, like Spice Girls and whatever other stuff they're throwing at us. But as we recede from Earth, the music starts dating and we start getting the radio, uh, old radio broadcasts, until it's just silence. And it's brilliant because it uses music and distance to communicate uh, the radio waves traveling through space because that's how it works, right? The further away you get from Earth, the more older or further back in time uh, someone's going to be receiving us. Right. And it sets up the use of Hitler's Olympic speech, you know, halfway through the film. Because Vega, the that solar system, uh, Vega or whatever, the star system, uh, is 25 light years away. Radio waves in space travel pretty much at the speed of light. And 25 years to Vega is 25 years back. So it's a 50-year round trip for us to send them a hello and for them to send us back a hello. Which, you know means they basically got about a decade to decide what they're going to tell us (laughs) Um, because Hitler's speech was in 1936. Fifty years after that would be 86. But I think this film takes place in, like, 96. It's released in 97, so the numbers more or less line up pretty well.
0: Or they could have sent it, like, 10 years after that
1: speech. Right, right, right. We we could have sent it 10 years after that speech. Oh, true. Maybe. Yeah, that makes sense. Whatever. And so... I thought that was just a really great use of uh, it's subtle but you don't really know what you're being set up for Mm -hmm. but it ties in whenever you start hearing these dated things Uh, maybe the idea of Hitler suddenly doesn't seem as foreign or uh, random as it otherwise might it's just something that you're kind of Planting in the back of the audience's mind yeah, and a lot of this is about to get really heavy I didn't have quite enough time to organize it the way I normally do And so this is going to be more or less a tour through the film because i'm largely going to be talking about ellie and How she fits into the frame? Whenever we fast forward a little bit from that opening shot to she's working in the uh, the facility and when drumlin gets there tom scared character drumlin mm-hmm. he arrives at the facility And he mocks her, right? He's still waiting for E.T. to call, which is, again, a direct call back to their naming convention. And fast forward a little bit from that to the party. Now, the party, um, Ellie is really small in the frame at the party. It's like she's tucked away in the corner. And to me, this kind of invokes Hitchcock's rule of whatever is biggest in the frame is most important. Therefore, she's really insignificant and she's kind of fighting an uphill battle. Palmer has the satellite next to his head while they're at the party. It's brief. Um, But when they get away from the party, when Palmer and Ellie kind of escape to have their own little conversation, the bridge to the satellite suddenly moves between them. And this is... Again, this is right after uh, well not again, but this is right after Palmer kind of intercedes on her behalf, right he uh, defending mm-hmm. her in front of Drumlin and gets on his bad side and so it 's like they 're saying there 's a bridge between faith and science at this point because that 's what these two characters represent Palmer representing faith and Ellie representing science or religion and atheism, agnosticism, what have you. And it's interesting because you go into that wider shot from there and it shows binoculars on Ellie's side. And it's like she's searching. It's it's this very light visual punch that she's looking. She's looking for something. Whereas Palmer... And let's just talk about his name for one second. Palmer kind of invokes the idea of palms or hands pressed together, maybe in prayer. And whenever you think about that visual symbol, it can be also invoked through antennas or steeples, prayer hands. They all kind of had this very vertical look to them. And I think they use that visual symbol repetitively throughout this film. And it ultimately... Uh, coalesces at the very end and we'll certainly get to that and so as we dolly down in this shot while they're outside after this party sitting in front of the satellite as we dolly down we see there is a long antenna on palmer's side like and it has these little red lights on top it's sending a signal which you know is kind of what you think of with you know prayer you're sending a signal to god whereas the satellite as a receiving end, right? For Ellie, she's waiting to get a signal back from somebody. And so these are two very different points of view of the universe. Mm-hmm. And that's a very simple visual way to kind of represent those things. And so, on, again, on Ellie's side, we have the satellite with the binoculars. You know, she's looking, she's waiting for something. And the satellite, though, has a bridge going out to it not so much to the antenna so it almost feels like you know there's a way out to the satellite and as we crane closer in this is beautiful long camera move that's craning from that wide shot all the way to this close-up and there's this great line that palmer says that invokes her father and if there wasn't it'd be an awful waste of space Mm -hmm. and right there the bridge is framed right between them again And that's that for her, that's the bridge of I'm connecting with this, with this person. And these two worldviews are colliding. And then of course they kiss. And if we fast forward to the next morning, they're having their little pillow talk. (laughs) And as at the end of their conversation, Palmer's trying to ask her out. He's trying to get her back out again. Like, Hey, let's make plans for tomorrow. And (laughs) She gets out of bed. She scrambles out of bed, right? And the camera stays locked on him, whereas she's kind of bobbing and weaving all over the place. She's in and out of the frame, and it's very representative of what's happening right now in the scene. He's right dead center trying to lock in on her, and she's just doing everything she possibly can to get away. She's evading him, and it's reflected in the way she's moving through the frame. It's beautiful. Now we get to this flashback of her, you know, losing her dad and we'll get, we'll get to that shot in a little while. Fast forward from the death and we're, we're sitting on the porch steps of her house and the pastor's there and he's sitting on the steps trying to tell her, you know, God has a plan or what have you. And, but just from a visual standpoint, we have the pastor who's in front of the house. He's not inside. He's not welcomed in. He leaves. He never has an opportunity to to be welcomed into her presence. And that's just kind of the way she's always kept religion. Mm -hmm. And it's reflected very much in how she just handled Palmer. It's like, eh, we don't really, I don't do that. And so symbolizing God wasn't welcome into her home, we then see what is welcome. Ellie goes upstairs and uses the radio which is her form of prayer to try and talk with her dad. This is how yeah. you know she thinks she can reach anybody anywhere, just with science with these with technology, and then we cut back to real time and we see this scene when Drumlin pulls the plug when she gets that news. Mm-hmm. Man, this is a cool scene to me because she walks outside, and Kent is telling her, and there 's this transitional moment that 's happening before Kent tells her we 're angled up the horizon line is below Ellie so that her head is above ground. And a little film theory is where the horizon line kind of tells you where the character is in life. So right now, if she's above the horizon line, she's doing well. Everything is good. Life is looking up. And if her head is below the horizon line, maybe that also means the world is crushing her and she's, she's being impressed. Now, that works here for sure because that's what happens. As she's getting the news, the camera is starting to angle up. You know, we're craning above the ground and we're placing her below the horizon line. And but the other cool thing that's happening is we're no longer looking up at the sky. Now we're being forced to look down and we're grounded. We can't do that one thing that we really want to do that Ellie really wants to do. She wants to be looking up and she can't now because she has no funding. And so begins her pleading for money to her. Yeah. (laughs) And it culminates with her being in front of those investors. She's pleading. They turn her down. And then the phone rings right after she makes her big emotional case. And the camera, at, as the, the little, I don't know, Mr. Smithers <laughs> has taken the call, we look around the room. She sees the camera that's showing that she's being watched and her prayer is being answered, so to speak. And it's coming from an eye in the sky, you know, quote, unquote, to me, I don't know, maybe Haddon is a symbolism of a God, a type of God. Maybe he's a man God because he answers prayers and he spends all his time in the sky and he, at certain points, elevates her like at this point. And so he has a lot of deity like qualities, right? He can get anywhere he wants, (laughs) especially in her life. Yeah. Um, And so it's like her scientific version of a god uh, incarnate and so we jump forward in time four years we're at palmer's we're sitting in the seti facility what have you the the vla the very large array and we're watching palmer's tv interview which is clever because it's a it's an exposition for what he's been up to for the last four years Uh, so storytelling wise that's a really clever device but while we're listening to him drone on and on about how technology has made us more cut off than ever, we get this great orbit shot of Earth. Yeah. And we feel the signal making its way in. Mm -hmm. And so it's this ironic juxtaposition because little does he know that our whole universe is about to expand. Yeah. Metaphorically. And for Ellie, literally. Yeah, literally. (laughs) And so let's talk a little bit because... There's this great scene as she's, as this is happening, as the signal's coming in and she gets it, her eyes open wide, right? And then she starts making her way back and she's jumping on the radio and she's talking to him. Well, as she parks her car, she starts running in. And there's this great shot that I'd never really paid attention to until just now because there's a long running tracking shot. Mm-hmm. And It echoes the very first long-running tracking shot, which is beautiful. Holy crap, that tracking shot when we flash back to see her dad pass away. Mm-hmm. We have those two shots that are spliced together through a green screen. Do you know anything about that shot? If can you, you want to explain it. Sure, so I'd seen it, but it's been a while. Yeah, so I'll look and find see if I can find like if there's a video or an article. Uh, there definitely is. There definitely I've is. And I'll link to it and for that reason I'm not going to like go on and on and on about it cuz someone else has said it better already. But basically, you have this really great shot when she is running to get the medicine for her father and she runs upstairs and we have this one long shot of her running up the stairs, running down the hallway in slow motion. She just towards towards the camera and she just can't move fast enough. And then as she keeps running, 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 she gets closer to the camera and she starts reaching out to the camera and we pull back to reveal that she's actually reaching into the medicine cabinet and she's opening up the cabinet, which is a mirror and it was reflecting her, Her herself and she grabs the medicine and the camera slowly or the uh, the cabinet door slowly closes to reveal the picture of her and her dad. But the amazing part of that, Mm -hmm. to
0: make it clear to listeners, the amazing part of that is that the whole thing looks like at the end of that, you realize the whole thing was a reflection. The whole shot was
1: a reflection, which is a bit of a mind F because you realize, hold on, we turned a corner you can't physically, let alone yeah, the reflection yeah. problem. Right. But you can't physically turn a corner through a mirror. So yeah, how did they do that? Because then they, her
0: hand comes from behind the camera to open the medicine cabinet and get the,
1: you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so okay, so how explain how, do they do how they did that. And so you get the first shot of we're going to backtrack. We're going to reverse out as she's running to the camera and we're just going to do a normal shot like that. Great. And then what you're going to do is instead of an actual mirror in the medicine cabinet, you're going to replace that with a green screen. And now you're just going to have her mirror the timing and you're going to mirror the camera movement so that you're moving back away from that green screen just as she's reaching to open the cabinet. So you're trying to replicate her movement as close as you can. And then in post, you replace that green screen with the actual shot, with that shot. It's not easy. (laughs) Especially, you know... It's
0: it's brilliant. (laughs) Like, in 97, they did that. I mean, they couldn't do that well now.
1: (laughs) 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 And it's really impressive to me because if you look later in the film, they don't... Their green screen work isn't always amazing. Right. But here, it's flawless. So, like, when is it not amazing? So, to me, it's... It's lacking whenever they have the the picture in picture of Bill Clinton, and mm-hmm. you have Tom Skerritt sitting behind him. Uh, to yeah. me, it's not it's not great. You're you're definitely seeing a little outline of Bill. Yeah. But then you also have the scene where David Morsi is and uh, Jodie Foster are sitting in space or on that planet, and you can see a little softness around David Morsi. Now, I think part of it too, to their credit, is they're intentionally creating a, this dreamlike. That's kind of what I got from that, was that it's supposed to look fake. You're
0: Not really, because it is fake. It is. It's manufactured. It's supposed to look manufactured. Yeah, because
1: for the alien, they're creating this for her. Yeah. And we're also led to question whether that was a real experience or not. So I think it plays really, really well. Uh, But it also, you can kind of feel it. And so one way or another, you're feeling it. It's just whether or not it was intended, which I would gamble that it was but those are Eric. really the only two moments cuz everything else look man you get into that that shot all those shots with the uh with the contraption in the back in the distance yeah th- it's perfect god man gorgeous yeah gorgeous work and so yeah so to their credit i i wouldn't say that it's necessarily shoddy work i'm just saying i notice it yeah. i guess i should say but so we have that amazing shot. And then we have that shot with her running to get the uh, running into the, the SETI to discuss with her team, hey, there's a signal coming in. And it feels like, you know, in the same way she lost her father, now she's gaining the signal that's gonna lead her back to her father. And so it's very representative because there's hope there. The moment that signal stops, and this is what's great, we have all this moment, we have movement, we have all this tracking stuff, and the moment that signal stops, everything stops. All the camera movement ceases. Now we're on pins and needles because everything's locked off. All that energy, all that excitement is suddenly just evaporated. And it's so important, and so it plays Absolutely to perfection, to make you feel all the tension that she's feeling, and all the hope and all the excitement, and how it comes and how it goes is all told through camera movement and the angles they get are like
0: uh, are really amazing. When she's sitting on the uh, on the ledge on the edge of the the cliff, and she's just kind of like looking out into the distance, mm-hmm. and the camera starts behind her and it pan it like comes in. Around her to the and to the front of her, they do that shot more than once, uh, Mm. twice at least, maybe three times, where she's just pondering. And but always in the background is just it turns out to be this beautiful. What you know? Sometimes it's a sunset. Another time, I think you see the dishes in the background, and uh, it's at the end. Like that's a complicated move to do and to do well and to land perfectly where the the background is is set exactly where you need it to be it's just really good.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you you take that shot where we push in as the signal hits and we go from that pretty wide shot of her on top of her car yeah. pushing all the way in until we're just on her eyes. Yeah. And how and going back to the Hitchcock rule who's significant now. Yeah. <laughs> but what's great about that is immediately after Drumlin arrives, Ellie is all of a sudden small in frame again. She's suddenly fighting for significance and to be heard. And this feels like one of those if-then rules. I feel like they said, if Ellie is with Drumlin, then we're going to make her small. Um, We're going to push her away to the back. She's going to be shorter than everyone, which is probably already the case. But there's... There's plenty of ways to make someone taller, you know, you can put her on an apple box, you can frame her differently. Yeah. And they do that stuff all the time. You have no idea how many times you're seeing a kiss sequence and there's some really good scenes of like superhero movies where you have a really huge superhero and a very tiny uh love interest and suddenly they're just eye to eye they're eye level with each other yeah Yeah, he's got a good foot and a half on that yeah Yeah. exactly (laughs) and so that stuff is happening all the time they can fix that if they wanted to and i don't think they did and so they push her in the back you know to the back of the frame or she's turned away from the camera so we can't really see her face they're finding all these ways to to shrink her and to de-emphasize her in the frame and so that's always the case with drumlin because that's a bit of a fight and that's kind of the secret theme that i i thought like man i wouldn't be surprised if they're making a bit of a commentary on patriarchy Mm -hmm. uh just this idea of you know a woman trying to fight her way into a you know the a man's world it's always an uphill battle yeah and another way that they could be emphasizing that would be with that visual symbol i talked about earlier you know you have these antennas or these you know, erect phallic things versus these round uh, feminine objects in the satellites. And that could be this difference of opinion um, or perspective worldview that, you know, is constantly being battled here. Now, I don't think it would be a very direct one because it's never mentioned. Um, I don't remember the sexes ever being brought up. So this could just be a director thing. It could be a Wes reading in too much to things, but it's potentially there if you want it. And so we go to the White House. Palmer enters the meeting, and he sits beneath the George Washington bust. It's really subtle. I couldn't quite place it. Uh, They have a thing with presidents going on here. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But he sits underneath, and it's like literally like Washington is coming out of his head in the background. And I think it's alluding to the Washington Monument. Because if we fast forward to the reception, and this is that moment where an Ellie asks, what if science revealed God never existed in the first place? And then Palmer's like, I need to speak to you outside. <laughs> yeah. Bring the wine. <laughs> <laughs> and they go to the balcony, and as they discuss the existence or non-existence of God, right, and she's invoking Occam's razor, and we'll touch on that in a little bit. But what do we have here? This is so great. The existence of God or the non-existence of God? Well, next to Palmer is the monument in the back, in the distance. We have the palm. We have that next to him. And if you want to split this into thirds or into fourths, even you would have Elian Palmer, Elian on the left, Palmer on the right, and then to his right would be the monument. Great. Even when they push in close, they still keep that monument right next to his head. But in those mediums, in those wide shots nothing is next to Ellie. It's absolutely black. Mm. Mm. And it's like, that's what she believes. There's nothing greater than me out there. And it's such a strong visual symbol that I mean, strong, if you're looking well, at it in reference to God. Yes. Okay. Yes. And it's just beautifully uh, crafted because you know, you have all this black emptiness and then she's challenged because he asked her, right? Did you love your father? Prove it. So amazing! Like the one-liners in the, in yeah.
0: this film are incredible, very pointed. Yeah. And can I just say, you just speak mm-hmm. to something you said a little bit earlier about it? You know, it not being like glaringly one-sided, either mm-hmm. or. I love how it doesn't knock either side. Yeah. It doesn't say either side is right or wrong, and it doesn't like you don't feel. When when um, Matthew McConaughey's character is arguing for the existence of God, you don't feel like he's preaching. Right, yeah. Which is really hard to do <laughs> yeah. if you're arguing for the existence of God to not come across as preachy. But he I don't know if it's because he's a good actor or the writing or both or whatever,
1: but I I just never felt like that. Now, you know what, that's a really great point because... I think it also goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning, that this is an olive branch, because this is based on a book by Carl Sagan. Mm -hmm. Like, Sagan was a dirty word in the religious circles I used to run in. And here, he didn't—I've seen so many—look, I could pick apart so many Aaron Sorkin scripts that really irk me, just because I feel like, as a writer, you get the opportunity to set up your opponent's beliefs, you get to construct, here's what they think. And you get to build what they call a straw man argument of, let me just set up the worst arguments possible just so that I can knock them down. As opposed to something uh, like what I, what's referred to as a steel man argument. Like, what's the strongest possible argument my opponent could make? Well, let me, let me discuss that instead. Let me see, can I really do battle with that, so to speak. And yeah. clearly, to your point... Sagan was doing that. He said, what's the best argument we can make about faith? Well, here it is. How can we show that being reflected in the scientific community? Let's do that. Yeah. And of course, doing that in a way that makes you excited about space and outreach to aliens is yeah. all the better. Yeah, because I think it's, it's hard in some ways. Uh, it's probably harder
0: to convince someone who doesn't believe in God to believe in them than someone who doesn't believe in aliens to believe that they exist.
1: That's true.
0: I I mean, right? Yeah. Right. Because if you don't believe in God, it's because you've chosen, like you've weighed everything and you've chosen, like very rarely, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, Mm -hmm. but it seems like very rarely do you just grow up never believing that there's a God ever and never questioning that. Right. But the, the existence of. Because I think because religion is so prevalent in in everything, yeah, you know, like going to church and God is just prevalent in everything, everyday life. But aliens are not, and so so, and you never see them. You never have any interactions with pe- like rarely do you have interactions with people that are like, hey, I went to my alien uh, <laughs> church today or something. You know what I mean? Like it yeah. just that just doesn't really happen. So like it it's a it's more intriguing. It's more like. Because you're not inundated with it, maybe. Yeah. It, it might be something that, that like interests you more. And so you, uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. But I don't feel like. And there's also no risk of being proven right or wrong. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think, you know, uh, on Matthew McConaughey's uh, character's side, you know, I don't feel like he's preachy. But then on Ellie's side, I also don't feel like, like I, I'm rooting for her. Yeah. You know, I want her to find the aliens partially because I want to see them mm. and I want to meet them and see what that experience is like, but also just because of her passion yeah for it. and and granted McConaughey's character is just as passionate a, about God, but I just feel like that's received a little bit different because of the the daily
1: interaction that you yeah. have with religious with religion absolutely, but, and jumping forward just a little bit like whenever they start the the whole search the search team and Palmer calls a little secret meeting with Ellie on the National Mall and that visual symbol is still there the the Washington Monument is still staged next to Palmer on his half of the screen and so they just kind of keep reinforcing that and here's where it gets good so we get to Ellie's experience after she's gone through wormholes and across the galaxy well as after that testimony in front of Congress or whatever that thing is, they, Ellie and Palmer exit. And what's great, that speech we heard, right. where she's just talking about the need, you know, to have a little bit of faith. The Washington monument is now on her side. Hmm. It's shifted for the first time. And as they descend the stairs, it's between them. And so it's like they're, they're sharing something now and she's moved closer to faith, obviously. And, What's great too is when Palmer gives his speech to the press, the space next to him is empty. It's just the stairs. Like they, they scooted all the press around to the edges of the frame. And now there's just him on the the right half and empty stairs on the left half. And it's like, he's moved closer to her side as well. Mm -hmm. Like they've both come a distance and, that's why I, I call this like a bit of an olive branch because at the end of the day, maybe, well, I'll get to that in a second. But so jumping a little bit more, um, to the very final shot, Ellie now is looking a little less at the stars, right? And a little more at earth. And she no longer needs to be fulfilled by the stars. Like she's, she's taken to heart the lesson that, you know, uh, her father, the alien gave to her, which is the only real meaning that we have in, in life is each other. And, yeah so I think I mean that's as far as my cinematography stuff goes that I think it's just so beautiful and simple to find these symbols and to find creative ways to insert them mm-hmm. uh, because they're in places of power uh so yeah, why not use these these visual symbols as and find some new interesting hidden ways to to impart in these very subtle visual cues that these characters have an arc. They've experienced a journey and here's the way that we're going to represent it. So getting back to some of the, uh, the themes and symbolism and just the general journey that they're going on for one, I think it's kind of crappy that (laughs) drumlin wants to go on a trip, right? He never believed possible at any point and actively roadblocked. And that goes back to that whole patriarchy thing. Like Mm -hmm. he, he's sitting in a pretty nice position of power and granted he literally has a position of power because he was like the science advisor or what have you. But I love, um, so Ellie makes a comment to Palmer that the compass could save his life someday. And he gives the compass back to her before she leaves. And it saves her life. She realizes the vehicle is safe, right, through this compass, through this, this olive branch from him. Like, hey, we can both agree on this one thing. And the idea of a compass is to point north, right there's a magnetic pull to it that reveals here's where we're going but north is also kind of a in my head north is up <laughs> yeah and up in their case is the stars and so she finds through him and she does he does save her life with the compass and realizes the vehicle's safe and maybe Science needs a little bit more faith. I feel like that's kind of the the message that's being transmitted here is that thing that she got from him was a symbol of faith and a symbol of trust. That hey, you can trust me, and I'm I'm not just out to get you. Yeah, <laughs> because I think sometimes the religious community feels like we're out to get them. That it's all just very lopsided, and uh, we're only looking to tear them apart. Yeah. Uh, so in some ways, that's why I was saying like this feels like it could be a, a light rebuke to the scientific community. But getting back to that final scene with her in the courtroom, she now has to explain her experience. What's which lacks evidence. She has to justify her testimony and ask for faith in her. So, yeah, I think, once again, it just goes, maybe science can learn from religion. There is evidence. It's obviously concealed by the government, which I found it hilarious, by the way, that the private sector bails out science where government fails it. So that's, <laughs> yeah. that's my libertarian side, just kind of smirking. Yeah, there you
0: go. I knew you'd find something. There. I knew <laughs>
1: But I also find it kind of funny that she gets torn apart by the very same mechanism in which she tore religion apart, which was Occam's razor. She learned to maybe take off the gloves and just, you know, stop hitting. (laughs) Yeah, there's more stuff. But I think (laughs) I think the overriding lesson, if I were to kind of summarize, it would be whether you believe in God or you don't is we have more in common than we don't. We're both Mm -hmm. looking up. We both want to know we aren't alone in this great, vast universe. Yeah,
0: definitely. I mean, it's very easy, I think, for, um, for the scientific community to attack the religious community i mean 9 out of every 10 wars are fought because of religion mm. uh and if we were ever going to kill each other for a a just cause it's probably because of religion mm. and not because of aliens you know but at the same time there like you said the, i lo- i love this movie because it also points at the the scientific community and says there's stuff to be learned from the these groups that believe With every fiber of their being in something that they've never seen. And Carl Sagan is saying, Let me remind you, you have never seen aliens. So why are you looking for them? Wow. You know, like you're looking for the, like you said earlier, you're looking up for the same thing they're looking for. It's just in a different form, right? Yeah. I mean, they're looking for reasons they're here. You're looking for something else, but you're both looking for something. And, and I I think it's more of a message to scientists, like, like you mentioned earlier than it is to the religious community to remind them like, like there's stuff to be learned, you know, and, and stay humble because, you know, my, my mother who my dear mother, who is the most religious person I know, I have total respect for her, even though I, I am not on we are not on the same page in that regard. But any i I have this 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 like love for passionate people of all kinds. If you're passionate about anything I I'm I'm your friend. Yeah. You know doesn't well it kind of does matter what it is. Let's I mean, I'm, I'm not, a not a fan. Not a fan of yeah, yeah, not a fan of Hitler here. <laughs> um, but you know, for the most, like you know, for for good things, uh, I just think it's amazing. You know, you, to to sacrifice your time, your energy, your money, your 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 love, your, your everything you have for something that you believe without any proof. My mother has no proof. At all, she has a book that was written two thousand years ago that i can I can list off reasons why i shouldn't why she shouldn't believe in any word of that thing, but she does yeah. she's chosen that that's that's her calling that's what you and i lo- I love that I think that's beautiful so yeah it it is like this olive branch thing and it 's very infectious um, because the way that like I said earlier the way that they that they 're acting it you love both sides. Yeah. And you want both sides to win. And both sides do win. But I I think there's when when Ellie looks at at Palmer at the end during the the oh, the, the, hearing, the hearing the committee yeah. hearing. When Ellie looks at Palmer, there's I don't I don't know how to explain it. They do this really great way this really great they they have like this really great moment where Ellie looks at him and finally understands him, you know, like she's like she realizes I can let go a little bit and I uh, I get it, you know, with the whole when the Occam Occam's razor Occam's razor <laughs> is thrown back in her face yeah. and she doesn't have an answer for it. She realizes um, that that's what he's been living his whole life, you yeah. know, and so she's she's like let go of her extremism a little bit. And understood him a little bit. But but he has the same moment looking back at her after she says her spiel, after she has her moment and then says her says I that I I can't I I can't take it back because whatever. Then he has his moment where he realizes that he's on the other sp- other side of it on the other spectrum and he becomes a little bit more like her yeah. and then they kind of like meet in the middle yeah. somewhere you know and and it's it's but they don't stop there in the film yeah. then they go out and he has his his speech to solidify what we just think that we experienced yeah. and then and then <laughs> so that could be the end of the movie right, right yeah. it could be the end of the movie yeah. and that would be good but it's so much better. It's so much better that they have 18 hours of static and that they they give you that, you know? Because you're thinking... You don't want to feel cheated. Yeah, you're thinking, I signed up for an alien movie. I don't want something that's so earthly, (laughs) you know? I want something that is, like, I want something unexplained. I want to walk away with something unexplained, and you get it. And it's just a tiny thing, man, a tiny thing that you wouldn't,
1: ever think. No, because you do you are hopeless. You're like, crap. Yeah. She has no way to prove we now we don't know. Yeah. That's so unsatisfying. Yeah. But the cool thing is is that
0: she doesn't even know yeah. that they recorded 18 hours of static. And she's okay with it.
1: <laughs> you know? Like she's just True. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't even
0: matter. It does not matter to her point. Yeah. She is
1: completely okay in her faith.
0: But that, you know, it's all about the ending, man. And that little thing that they gave us
1: makes you walk away thinking, shit, that was a good movie. And I just love the, the creative approach to how would aliens establish contact. And I love that she asked, you know, is this a test? And he's like, no, no test. It's just how we do things. Yeah. (laughs) That's the so great. Of years, because I can imagine we would devise some test. You know, we have all these theories like the Prime Directive: you can't introduce technology to a civilization that hasn't already discovered that technology. Yeah. And they're like, eh, eh. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you can build it, you're good enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. That's awesome. Oh my god, love
0: it. I, I feel like there's so much to talk about about yeah. this film. But I kind of, I just want, I kind of just want people to go back and watch it again. Yeah, I kind of want to watch it again. <laughs> <I> know. <laughs> you know, I mean, it took me longer to watch it than I had anticipated because I didn't remember that it was two and a half hours. Yeah, and even watching it this time, I wasn't thinking, "Man, when's this going to end?" Mm-hmm. I was. The, it it has this way of because all the shots are thought out, and you can feel it. You can feel that all everything that happens is for a purpose yeah. and for a reason. And all the acting is fantastic there 's not a moment where you feel like you come out of it there 's a lot of little bitty one liners that make you like think when uh, Drumlin is talking to her right before he goes up to the machine, and he says that we don 't live in a fair world you know this isn 't if you' if mm. you want something fair we don 't live in a fair world and she said funny." I thought the world was what you make. Want to make it? Kaboom! Just blew my fucking mind, and I thought that I had that to every. It's like they have these little one-liners, and for the next twenty minutes, you just keep rolling that in your head. Like yes. Oh, my God. And then right about the time where that goes out of your head, another little one-liner will come in. and You're like, oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) They just keep rolling these like subtly little like these little things subtly throughout the film that keep you engaged mentally. Yeah. Because nothing really happens. True. Like not very,
1: very little happens. I mean, they do a really great job of giving you, like, these false starts going into the movie. You know what it's about. You know, it's about alien contact. And so they give you, you know, one of these little false starts, especially at her first time getting on, getting any airtime, so to speak. The And she's like, oh, I'm picking something up. And they track it down. And it's like, oh, it's whatever, some yeah signal from somewhere else on Earth. And in your heart, you start getting excited, like, oh, is this it? Are All we on? Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. Yeah. And then... They let you go through her emotions of lacking all hope, like, oh, this is never going to happen. Um, and that's what a great movie does, especially one about aliens, is you don't just jump straight to the aliens. You get us invested into the characters and to their story and to what they want so that we can want that, too. Yeah. And then whenever you, they get it, you feel so much happier and excited to be a part of that ride. Mm-hmm. And this takes you just flawlessly through all of that. Yeah. God. Yeah. yeah.
0: So yeah, because I've thought about this too recently. Movies are kind of a funny thing, and books, stories in general, are kind of a funny thing because you just happen to come in at the right time before this thing happens that they overcome or they don't. End of story. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and sometimes that kind of like just gets. Eh, boring. You know, you gotta be. You have to be able to tell the story of the of the character. Like, so when you're talking about scientists, you're talking about SETI scientists. There is a lot of time of them doing nothing, like getting nothing. Right. You know, I mean, you you have scientists now who are staring at the stars, who have been staring at the stars for thirty years, and have they found cool stuff? Sure, of course they have. But have they found what they're looking for? No. It's um, it's really amazing. Just. It would be a complete waste of space if there was nothing else, which they re- refer to multiple times in the film. Yeah. You know, do you believe so, in
1: aliens that they exist? Do you believe that intelligent life? That is exists? the question. I think. Yes. The, to me, the real question is whether or not it exists while we exist yeah uh, because time is so long it yeah, runs right. so far that it 's possible you know maybe we 're the first and or maybe we 're the last i don 't know yeah but yeah i i 'd say the odds are greatly in favor mm-hmm. it 's just crazy when you think about what it took to form us let 's let go of just the idea of the evolution itself creating our bodies, fine, but the idea like there's some theories that say the reason that. Our brains work the way they do is because of a virus, you know, millions of years ago or whatever that allows us to form memories itself. <laughs> like, it's it's all just a big crazy crapshoot, I think. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think I, I I don't buy into Shakespeare's monkeys. You know, if that that whole theory of give enough monkeys enough time they'll type out Shakespeare. I I, I call bullshit on that because I don't think you give enough monkeys enough time, they ever formulate a full coherent sentence, (laughs) much less the works of Shakespeare. Yeah. But yeah, I, I I think given enough time, you can, life finds a way to quote uh, (laughs) our favorite mathematician. Good old Goldblum. (laughs) So yeah, I think that's all I got for Mm -hmm. the chicken. Awesome. Uh,
0: (laughs) Oh, he snuck the
1: chicken in. (laughs) What? Yeah. So I,
0: I uh, just go see this movie again. Yeah, just no. go watch it again. Yeah, it's, no. it's worth it. I, you can rent it on like Hulu or, or Amazon mm-hmm. or something for like three bucks. Yeah. It is totally worth it. 100%. 100%. I mean, I would I mean, I I'd definitely
1: give this a 10. Same. Easy. Yeah. yeah. Easy 10. Yeah. Whew. I'm going to recommend for this week Ender's Game. Oh, cool! It's one of my favorite sci-fi movies, you know, in the last ten years for sure. Yeah, and it's just this great movie that involves first contact with aliens, albeit in a different way. But I think it's one of those movies that it just didn't get enough viewers, so it's unlikely that anybody listening to this show hasn't seen it. But on the off chance uh, that you haven't, go see Ender's Game. Yeah, uh, I liked it a lot.
0: Yeah, yeah, awesome. Uh, I'm gonna recommend 2001. Space Odyssey, Ooh. yeah, yeah. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but I do remember it being a complete game changer for me, and and just making me think about outer space in a totally different way, and and humanity, and and uh, the formation of life, and the evolution of of things um, in a totally different way, and c- cinema, you know, yeah. like.
1: The things they use in in that film is just, yeah, incredible. I'm excited about 2001. Uh, Christopher Nolan is doing a not a restored. He's calling yeah. it an unrestored version, where he's taking the original negatives and scanning them, and so basically we're going to get 70 millimeter prints that look exactly more or less like what it originally aired. I've seen it in 70 before because it's you know nerd and. It looks fine, but I can, you can also see the weathering, which is a part of the allure, but also really want to see it now refreshed and the way it was originally seen. Um, So you can expect that to be touring through theaters in 70 millimeter uh, film and probably within the next few months, I don't know, keep an ear out because it'll be making its way. Yeah. So hats off to Christopher Nolan. Wow. That's freaking cool. How the hell did he get his hands on that? It was random. He said he was working. What was he working on? I don't know if it was Dunkirk. And someone was like, hey, you want to see this reel off of 2001? He was like, yeah, what the heck? And he saw it. And it was a a reel from the inner negative, which is just, uh, it's a part of the process of developing film and getting it uh, ready for, 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 Creation. Creating copies and, yeah, okay. uh, creating prints. And he saw it and he was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And I think he was work, doing a lot of work with Warner Brothers at the time, and they had just bought up, like, almost all the projectors, the hundred, the 70-millimeter projectors. And he was like, I wonder if I could talk them into, like, letting me oversee a, a full original restoration of this thing. And since they had the the projectors and now he has the film, he's like, hey, let's just do this. <laughs> and so... Stay tuned. I will absolutely be watching that. Uh, Yeah, man. (laughs) Um, Stay tuned for next week. We're going to stick with space and watch the Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Yes. (laughs) Oh, man. So go listen. I'm just
0: going to tell you now to go watch it so that you'll be ready for next week when we talk about this thing. Because this this was a mind. F yeah, for me when I growing up, the first time I saw it, I was terrified, and and in awe, and excited, and sad, wow. all at the same time. It was like all of these emotions I, I didn't even know that I should have had. It, there were scenes where I was watching it really scared, and I was like, "Why am I scared? There's nothing scary about what's happening," but mm-hmm. I was scared, or like, like I, I wanted. I, I couldn't look or I was, I couldn't look
1: away or whatever. It was like, yeah, really exciting. I didn't really get to watch it as a kid. Um, Oh, really? I watched it as an adult, really. And I want to say the first time I really watched it, I got to see it at the draft house. And it was a, it was Spielberg's own copy, like his own version. So the version I really got to experience for the first time isn't the version that anyone else really got to experience for the first time. Lucky. Yeah, so that was kind of crazy. Don't forget to subscribe, review us on iTunes. Um, if you want to comment on this particular episode, you can do so at com slash contactmovie. Yeah. Because oh. slash contact is our contact page. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. didn't so see great. that problem it coming. Didn't see that one coming. Oh man. We have like two pages on the entire website. That's, that is And a, that's a one movie. of them. Yeah. Can
0: we just change the contact page to
1: right. hi contact us or yeah, something? Yeah. Yeah. Whatever.
0: Yeah. It's fine. Contact the movie. Yeah. Okay. Um and yeah, make sure you please review us on iTunes and and leave us uh feedback and and rate us all of those things. It helps a ton, and let us know what you want us to, to review. Mm-hmm. We get uh, submissions all the time, and uh, we'd
1: love to hear from you so yeah awesome. So, so we'll leave off with this quote of the day if you would like to take it Sure. Uh, this oh
0: man, Carl Sagan yeah good good man, good man. We are made of star stuff. We are a way for the cosmos to know itself that's Whoa.
1: such a beautiful view Man. that's because it echoes everything we've just been talking about yeah it's absolutely it's a version of religion without religion yeah because you know that's kind of the view of of God and his creation is you know God created this so that we could know and love God and this is you know just a, a flip side of that coin like if you don't believe in God then what do you believe like we are made of star stuff, we are made stardust, and we, being a part of the cosmos, get to look within ourselves every time we're studying science, we're studying ourselves, and it's an introspective and you know, outer perspective of an exploration of, of the universe and of ourselves. It's one and the same. I love that I just stumbled just across that. That's probably the best
0: quote you've ever <laughs> Yeah. <it's>, that's insane. <laughs> I've never heard that before. My mind is blown. That's so beautiful. I'm, uh, yeah, sorry. I'm just a little taken, <laughs> uh, taken back by that. I'm, just, I'm not going to be able to sleep now. <laughs> In the best kind of way. Fantastic. All right, guys. Yes. Yeah, so uh, if, you, if you like what you, what you hear, please review us. And until next week, I'm Todd.
1: I am Wes. Go watch some movies.